Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Back to Matthew 16 again, our foundation verse, just to continue to remind you about the significance of this statement of Jesus in Matthew 16 and in verse 24. If you remember this, when we first opened up this series uh, several uh, parts ago, this falls on the heels of Peter telling Jesus, Jesus had said he was going to die for all of mankind. He was going to go to the cross. He was going to die. Three, three days later, he would be raised from the dead. And in the process of him declaring that, Peter said that he would not allow that to happen. And in him stating that fact, Jesus turned and said, Get behind me, Satan, because you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. What he was telling him and then leading into this is that if you want to walk as a disciple of Jesus, you got to be mindful of the things of God, not the things of man. you got to see things the way God does. Amen? So in verse 24, Jesus then said to all of his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what are the four aspects of what it takes to be able to walk out what, it, what is required, according to Jesus, to become a disciple. Again, number one, you got to have a desire to do what? To be like Jesus. To come after him. That phrase is to be a disciple, which simply means you're going to live the kind of life he lived. I have to have that desire to want to be doing in my life what Jesus did. Be in a position to do what he did, live the life that he lived. If I have that desire, number two, I got to do what? I got to deny self, meaning disown the old self-nature. Disown the old self-nature. That old fallen nature is not going to rule me anymore. Now, to do that, how do I primarily disown my old self-nature? You are led by your spirit, not your flesh, not your soul, not your body. You develop as a disciple. You learn to be ruled by your spirit, man. And in doing so, you begin to disown that old nature. And then the third thing he said to do was to do what? Take up your cross. To take up your cross, which means you and I now take up what is God's will for our life. How we're supposed to live this life. We'll get into some of this tonight. I'm excited to start going into some of this tonight to understand how these four things work in the life of a disciple. And then number four, he said to do what? Follow me. So this is talking about now becoming a companion of Jesus. Relationship. Relationship. You're certainly not going to become a disciple of Jesus like him if you don't learn to do what? Spend time with him. Spend time with him. So we're going to talk about that as the first key nugget tonight when we get to it in just a moment. But I need to fulfill what I told you this morning as a completion of what we talked about about the four growth stages of the believer. If you'll turn back to Ephesians 4 where we left off. If you'll go over here to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'll remind you of the four growth stages of a believer. What are the four growth stages of a believer? Number one, convert. convert. What's a convert? They're changing their lifestyle and the way they think, right? They're, di- they're getting rid of their opinion and they're turning to God and they're learning what God says, what God tells them of how they're to think about themselves, what God says who they are, just like we confess, what God says they have, what God says they can do. So they begin to convert from the perspective of what they did as a sinner to now turning to the things of God, changing the basics of their lifestyle to put themselves in a position to do what? To develop and grow. If I don't convert from, if I get, if I truly get born again, if I pray a prayer and I know without a doubt I've been changed in my heart, but I keep living like I used to live as a sinner, how am I going to develop as a believer? I'm not. So the convert stage is converting from those old aspects of what we did to now turn to this new lifestyle God has available and how he says we develop and grow. The second stage is what? Epistle. So as we begin to get into Romans through Revelation, both through the teaching of the Word that we're taught by leadership and our own study through the Word of Romans through Revelation, if you've never done this, I encourage you to do it. This would be a great time, start of the year, to do this, is to be able to go to that back table back there. We have a sheet called In Him Verses, In Christ Verses. 
It'll give you every single verse in the New Testament that refers to who you are in Christ. There's statements like in him, in whom, in Christ. These are all talking about who we now are as a brand new child of God on the inside. So the second thing we got to do is we got to begin to get in these epistles, learn who we are, learn what we can do, learn what God says we have. And as we're going to talk about tonight in the latter part of our lesson, act like it. Start acting like it. So that's the second stage of what helps us to develop to the point of a disciple. The third stage is an actual disciple. This takes discipline. Say discipline. So now we begin to do what? We begin to discipline ourselves in a position as a believer. As we begin to act out what the epistles tell us, we begin to discipline ourselves in relationship to our life to be able to truly begin to act upon what God says we know we can do just like Jesus did, putting our faith in Jesus. Because if I believe I have authority but don't use it, will I ever become a disciple? No. If I believe that I can go share the gospel and get people born again, but I don't ever share the gospel, am I going to be walking in the footsteps of Jesus? No. So a disciple is one who literally then becomes what? They become somebody who identifies with or is identified with Jesus, as we're going to begin to show you tonight what that takes. And then the fourth stage of development or growth is called ministry. Ministry. As I'm being developed as a disciple in God's house, there's a place of where God wants me, ministry, to what? Serve. What he's gifted and called me to do. So the fourth stage of ministry is, again, our place where we are called, I'm going to say it this way, more importantly, we're called by God to function in the body of Christ. Say, my place where I'm called by God to function in the body of Christ. Now, this is important to understand because realize when we talk about the fourth stage called ministry, serving, it doesn't just mean five-fold ministry or full-time ministry. We're all called to the ministry. How I many know oh, we all have a ministry called reconciliation? Are all called Second Corinthians to the ministry of reconciliation, restoring others to God. But we have a place to serve in the house of God in the gifts and abilities God gave us. Now, that doesn't mean you may start off in that ultimate place. As you develop and grow as a disciple in God's house, you'll also develop and grow with understanding of what God has for you to do in serving in God's house with what you can fulfill as your calling in the ministry. Amen? And this brings great strength to your life. This brings great strength to the body. And it brings growth to the body. This is one of the reasons why we're lacking in some ways growth and in a context as a whole in the church today because the truth is if we truly start functioning in these callings of God as the Bible teaches we're going to start reaching people with the gospel. Amen? So in Ephesians chapter 4, talking about this fourth stage of development, stepping into our calling, ultimate calling of where God placed us in ministry, verse 11, referring back to what Jesus did here, when he ascended to heaven, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are the fivefold ministry gifts. Now these are not part-time positions, these are full-time ministers. Full-time ministers. Brother Hagen learned after being in a position of a pastor for 12 years that that's not really what Jesus had assigned him to do. Now, I believe that he helped him to pastor because those churches that he pastored through the process of 12 years needed his help. They were without pastors. So temporarily, they needed somebody to pastor them that could teach the Word of God. One of the gifts that a pastor has to have is also that gift of a teacher. We're required to teach you the word of God. The Bible's clear. We help you, according to God's own word in Jeremiah 3.15, get knowledge and understanding of God's word. How does that happen? Through the teaching of the word of God. So you have to be anointed to do that. Anybody can learn things about the Bible and obviously somewhat teach it to somebody else. But a pastor's anointed to see things you wouldn't maybe normally see. Uh, uh, so is a gifted teacher like Brother Hagin. So Brother Hagin then later learned after those 12 years, the Lord told him, I never called you to be a pastor. So guess what he stepped into after that? Tried to do an evangelist office. Didn't work. Why? God didn't call him. And eventually he finally found out he was truly called to teach. Anybody know what he was called to teach? Go teach my people faith and healing. That's what Jesus told him. So in relationship to what he would teach, he would always wind up coming around to faith and healing. That was his call. One of our spiritual dads, Dr. Hilton Sutton, was called by God to teach in times to the body of Christ. He specialized in it for over 65 years of his life. <clears throat> this is why I so love gleaning 
from his understanding of the scriptures because God gifted him to teach in that area. So God's going to show him things clearly called and gifted to teach that which others might not see. Every pastor has to be like a general practitioner. Remember when the days you had doctors that were general practitioners, that they kind of were there to kind of take care of all the aspects of what you needed in your family? And now it's all these specialists, right? So a pastor is kind of like a general practitioner. But I'm not called by God just to teach end times. I'm called by God to teach you the whole of what I'm called in relationship as a pastor of Scripture. So that's why we bring gifted teachers into our church and our pulpit, like Brother Sutton and others now, to be able to teach you the Word of God, like Johnny Rowlett. Why? Because they have a gifted assignment to teach you specific things that God's given them anointing to teach. But the fivefold ministry here in verse 11 are full-time positions. Now, how many of you know God also gives people, thankfully, in church to teach the Word as well? But that's not of the fivefold. That just means they have an ability to help the pastor to be able to teach the Bible, teach the Word of God when needed. Verse 12, he goes on to tell us what these fivefold ministry gifts are doing. What are they doing? They are for the equipping of the saints. So that would be me. Watch this. For the work of what? There you go. For the work of ministry. To find that place, that ultimate calling, where God wants you in the body to be able to help fulfill part of the work of ministry, stepping into this fourth stage of development of the ultimate place where God wants you in a church to be able to serve and to function in the body. What is this for? Watch this. For the edifying of the body of Christ. What's edifying here mean? Building up. Imagine every single part of the body functioning as a disciple in the context of their place of ministry, anointed by God within the body. Imagine how strong that body is going to become. Because every element doing its part is helping make that body stronger. Helping make that. You look at it from a perspective a lot of people don't practically of what God's called even people to do in the way of serving in the church in the natural aspects of what needs to be done. What if we have people gifted by God? How many of you know we don't want people to paint that aren't gifted to paint? Do you know there are people that aren't gifted to paint? I learned that. (laughs) There are people... I'll never forget in Roanoke, one of our first churches, I stood up on site and said, hey, we need to repaint this whole other side of the church over here. Anybody that can come help, come and help. That was a mistake. That was a mi- I spent more time cleaning up the messes that were made than we did the actual paint that got on the wall. So I found out not everybody knows how to paint, right? Not everybody knows how to work on an engine. Not everybody knows how to obviously do aspects of different things in relationship to what you need to do in ministry. I know some people play electrician. I've done a little bit of that. I'm a little safe to make sure I don't go beyond what I know. But if I really wanted electrical help, I'd talk to somebody like Justin. So you need to understand even those gifts and callings What if the body's functioning and taking care of God's house? Guess what I don't have to do? Stuff that God didn't call me to do. What did God call me to do? Pastor. What did he call me to do? Book of Acts chapter 4. You know what it says? I want you, pastor, in the word of God and in prayer so that you can continue to develop your body spiritually. But the more time I have to pull aside to do other things others are gifted to do, guess what it's taking me away from? What I'm supposed to be doing. So that's going to limit my ability to be able to help you the way I should as a pastor. So a lot of times people don't even look at that as something very significant or supernatural, but it is. If I've got people that I can turn stuff over to say, hey, can you get this fixed? Can you do this? Can you paint that? Yeah, I can take care of it, pastor, no problem. If I know obviously they're capable of doing it, well, guess what? God's house gets taken care of. I mean, go back to the Old Testament tabernacle, not the tent. The tabernacle Solomon built. Any idea how ornate, how incredibly that was built? I mean, if you go back and learn about when God began to set aside the people to build that tabernacle, you know what it says in the Bible? He used skilled artisans, skilled gifted workers for certain things that needed to be done because that's what they were good at. That's what God had called them to do. That wasn't any less important believe it or not, than the ministers that were ministering and taking care of the sacrifices of the people to be able to continue to do what? To cover their sin. Because if they didn't build the place for them to do that, how could they do it? They couldn't. So it was just as important. How about the Levites that took care of the place after it was built? That was just as important. Because Aaron and the priests didn't need to pull aside and do that. 
That, that's why God took all of the tribe of Levi, and their whole assignment was one thing as, as a time of ministry in the Old Testament, take care of the tabernacle, all of the tabernacle. So this is very clear in Scripture all throughout the Bible. So we're being equipped, we're being trained, we're being taught, we're being developed through the fivefold ministry gifts in this pulpit. Do I need to go find an apostle? No, we bring him here. Apostle Terry Mize. Amen? As well as others. Understand that... Even Rufus Wana, all these different people. Really, an apostle is what we would kind of call a missionary today. Most apostles really are functioning in the text of what would be a missionary. But these are coming in to equip the saints so we can eventually developing in our ability and our gifts and what God's called us to do, find our place in the body where God wants us to serve. Amen? And when we do that, what do we do? We edify or build up the whole body of Christ. So again, the more people take off of my hands, does that help build the body? You better believe it does. That puts me in a greater position to hear from God, pray, spend time in the Word, that I can help you even more. Verse 13, we are to do this until what? We all come to the unity of the faith. When will that happen? When, we, when will we all come to the unity of the faith? Not before Jesus comes back. Or we go to be with him. So this is going to happen until the end of the time of the church age. This whole chapter is about the church. This is the local church right here. This is the design of God for the local church. We do this until we come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, full knowledge, knowing him as he's known, to a perfect man perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that's just referring to the fact we're going to do this until Jesus comes back. As long as the church age is in existence, the church is going to exist and do what it needs to do to fulfill its call. 14, notice this. We're to do this that we should no longer be what? Children. Excuse me? Children. So what if people aren't functioning in their ministry? It still hinders some growth of some people because they're not functioning in an area that they should be. They're not doing what they should be doing. But we're to do this that we're no longer children, immature believers, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Third, uh, 15. But speaking the truth in love. Who speaks the truth in love? Well, really, the whole body should. But in this context, what is he talking about? The fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What if they don't speak the truth in love? Well, I'll guarantee you what speaking the truth in love is all about. If you love somebody, what do you tell them? You tell them the truth. There are people who don't speak the whole truth. They say they love people, but if they really did, wouldn't they tell them the truth? Sure they would. But we know we're in the day of the tickling of the itching ears. Well, we don't always have people telling everybody the truth. They're afraid to offend them, afraid to upset them. But speaking the truth in love, what happens when you do that? You grow up. You grow up. Say you grow up. Those of the fivefold speaking the truth in love will help the body to do what? Grow up in all things. Into him, Jesus, who is the head of the body, Christ, from whom Jesus, the whole body, is joined and knit together. How? By what every joint supplies. So again, this is initially, yes, coming in getting involved, but as I develop, as I'm being equipped and trained, and I continue to grow, and I become a disciple, I'm going to ultimately find my place of ministry, and by me doing my part, what's going to happen again? Watch this. By what every, uh, by uh, verse 16, from whom the whole body, from Jesus, the whole body joining it together, how? By what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. What part? What, what every part? Every individual. Every believer. When every part does its share, what does it do? Causes growth of the body. And it causes what? Edifying of itself in love. Growth of the body means both spiritual as well as numerical. And it also grows in what? Love. Because when everybody's functioning where they're called to function, God's at work in that body accomplishing what he wants to do. Really, when a body's functioning together in the place where they're called, every individual, and doing what God called them to do, guess what? God's functioning at full measure. God's functioning at full measure. Why? Because he's working through all of that body. He's working through every part of that body. But where you got parts of the body not doing what they're supposed to do, God's limited in some way because we're missing part of the function of what God needs in that body. Amen? amen. I said amen. Yes. What if you didn't have children's teachers? Right? What if you didn't have ushers? So if you don't have ushers, guess what I'm going to have to do? Ush. 
You listening? I've done everything in the church but nursery. It's the only thing I've never done. I actually had one Wednesday night uh, years ago. We actually had a, a gal in our church come to me. And she said, you know our kids teacher that normally comes Wednesday night? Yeah, can't be here tonight. Well, I didn't want to not have kids church, so I had somebody else could take the service. I told them, would you take the service? Yeah, I said, I'll go in and be with the kids. So I did. I did youth for over a year and a half. We used to, I used to do youth on Sunday night. I used to do normal church on Sunday morning. And then I would actually do our youth group on Sunday night and have somebody else take the service on Sunday morning just so we had somebody to do the youth. But I'm here to tell you that every time another part of the body goes beyond convert, epistle, disciple, they remain a disciple, but develop to the place of ministry, man, now the body's functioning at full strength. And that makes a huge difference in the body. One last thing I want to point out about verse 16. You still with me? From whom Jesus... The whole body is what? Tell me out loud. Read it there for me. Verse 16. Joined and knit together. Joined, watch this, and knit together. What happens when the body gets joined and knit together? One, they become stronger. Two, it's harder for Satan to take advantage of their life. When people are not connected where God wants them connected, they are what the Bible calls a straggler. And these are easy targets. These are easy prey for Satan to deceive, mislead, take advantage of, because they're not connected, joined and knit together with the body God wants them connected with. So let's talk about a couple of things here about ministry. There are basically two aspects of what we're going to talk about relating to this aspect of ministry. There is the full-time ministry of the fivefold, and then there's all the rest of the body. That's it. There's basically those two categories. The rest of the body we would normally call what, according to the scriptures? Anybody know? Helps ministry. Helps ministry. Because no matter what that other part of the body is, guess what it is according to the Bible? It's called the ministry of helps. I'm here to do what? Help. I'm here to help with what God gifted me to be able to do, what God gifted me to be able to reach in context of the body of Christ to help strengthen our body and help fulfill what God needs for us to do in the body. Any amens on that? So first and foremost, let me address the fivefold. If you're in the fivefold, called to the fivefold ministry, how do we know that? How do we know if we're called to the fivefold ministry biblically? Let me give you three things. I just went over this with the leader that's under me this week. Let me give you three things significant to fivefold ministry, okay? Number one, number one, to be in the fivefold ministry, you as a believer had to be submitted to some other leadership in the fivefold, and they recognized that calling. Number one, you have to be submitted to somebody else in the fivefold, and they recognize that calling. How do we know? Book of Acts. Book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas, great example. They were preaching the gospel. They were doing the work of God, but they weren't yet acknowledged as those who were also supposed to be apostles and therefore sent out by God to continue the work. But there came a point in the book of Acts after chapter 4 where the disciples, the initial apostles, what are they? Fivefold. Those initial apostles who were fivefold were praying and God speaks to them. Not till then, but God speaks to them and said, I now want you to separate for me, Paul and Barnabas. Meaning what? They're now going into the fivefold ministry. Who recognized it? Fivefold ministers they were submitted to. Peter and the rest of the apostles. That's how they found out, for sure. I mean, Paul pretty much knew already he had a call of God on his life because of the Damascus Road experience. But he didn't ever call himself an apostle, nor did he say, I'm in the fivefold, nor did he say, I should be, until the leadership that he was submitted to acknowledged it and recognized it. Our pastor likes to say it this way all the time at their leadership conference. If you are a five-fold ministry and somebody else in five-fold ministry knows about it besides you, stand up so we can pray for you. In other words, you're not just a self-proclaimed apostle, self-proclaimed pastor, self-proclaimed. Somebody knows about it and they acknowledge that call in your life. The five-fold ministry is significant because you and I don't ever want to step into a calling in which we ourselves are not truly acknowledged by leadership. Number two, to be able to be in the five-fold ministry, you got to do what? You got to qualify. Got to qualify. There's high qualifications, clearly, to be in five-fold ministry. If you go back into the book of Acts and you just start looking at what we see, how many understand that God doesn't look at any of us differently as a believer? We all, we're all the same in God's eyes. Right? I'm no more important than you. 
Amen. You're just as important as me. There's no more importance put on somebody in the fivefold because they're in the fivefold ministry. Matter of fact, you're going to get into a position of more judgment. You're going to get into a more difficult uh, uh, you know, challenge of your life of the enemy trying to stop you and to try to keep you from doing what God called you to do. But what I want you to understand is this is key. You got to understand to know what it takes to qualify. If you look at the Bible... This is the levels of the New Testament of Christianity from the perspective of leadership down. What's the first aspect of leadership in the body? Fivefold. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. What comes next under them in position of leadership? Elders. Congregational elders. Those in the body who are called as congregational elders like Don is to be submitted under fivefold, to be my hands extended to the church to help the body, to love on them, be there to pray for them if needed, whatever. But he's not to pastor them. I, I'm great. Don doesn't want to be your pastor. But he's not to pastor them. He's not supposed to meet with you privately. He's not supposed to take conversations with you privately because he's not your pastor. He's here to help me to help you. So that's the elder position. We're going to talk about this down the road as we get later into this year. But that's the elder position of leadership. What comes underneath the elder, do you know, in the body of Christ? Anybody know? Deacon. I heard it. Deacon. deacon. Next row, next position, a deacon in the church. And we see these in the book of Acts chapter 4. What is a deacon, by the way? They're just hands-on ministry people. The first deacons were assigned to do what? you remember? Provide the daily distribution... Of food to the widows because it wasn't being done. They didn't tell Peter what to do. They weren't hiring and firing the preacher, nor were the elders. What were they doing? They were their hands-on servants to serve in the house of God. But look at the qualification to be a deacon. You know what the qualification was to be a deacon? Good report. Meaning that if you were to talk to anybody else that knew them fairly well, that they would be acknowledged as truly a solid believer, a solid Christian, one that you would know is living the kind of life they should live according to what a disciple would live. You can't take a convert and put them in a position of a deacon. But if they become a disciple and they're called to do that, you could put them in that position. They got to be of good report, full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost, meaning what? They're not only, quote unquote, baptized in the Holy Ghost, they're very familiar with the leading of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Ghost. Third thing, full of faith. Meaning what? You see results in their life. Amen? That they truly trust God, believe God. You know, a lot of people think, well, why is that so significant for a deacon in the church? What were they doing? Taking the bread, daily distribution of bread, to widows. Not all widows in their day were old. So why did they have to be of good report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith? So they weren't flirting with these women and doing stuff they shouldn't do. So that's just to be a deacon. We're not even to the position of an elder yet. So the second key for fivefold ministry is they got to qualify. They got to fulfill what's needed in, in recognition of qualification to even be in the fivefold, right? If they can't handle basic confrontation with people, they're arguing with people all the time, getting mad, frustrated, all this kind of stuff. Let me help you. You don't need to go in the fivefold ministry. If they aren't full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, if they don't have a good report, if they haven't already begun to do the works of God, not even quote-unquote, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to be a fivefold minister, so I'm going to go do the works of God. No, they're just loving Jesus, and they're all, obviously all of us can, but they're already seeing those works in their life. It's like I've said for years, I don't want to go sit under a pastor who has not done what Jesus did. How's he going to teach me to do that? Right? All, most of what I saw, although I've seen stuff since I've been a pastor, miraculous as well, most of the miraculous stuff I saw as a quote-unquote believer, I wasn't even a pastor yet. I was still a bull rider. I was still chasing a bull riding dream. But I'm here to tell you, folks, you got to understand the second key about fivefold ministry, not only recognized by leadership, but they got to qualify. Say qualify. And then the third thing is, if they've obviously been recognized as leadership, they qualify, what do they got to do? Prove themselves. Prove themselves. I thank God, Coy Huffman, seeing the call of God on my life as a pastor and obeying God to birth this church when I talked to him about ordination. What is ordination? What they did in Acts 4 in releasing Paul and Barnabas. Ordination just means an acknowledgement now that they qualify and they've done what? Proven themselves. Why did God not start at the very beginning with Saul and Barnabas? to immediately acknowledge them as they started preaching the gospel to say, hey, set these boys apart for me. Why? They had to prove themselves. They had to prove themselves in that calling. So the third thing fivefold ministry has to do is prove themselves. Now, God knew that I was called to this. 
So did Coy. And Coy knew that I was supposed to start this church. Obviously, with his help, we, he birthed the church and we started the church. But you know what? When I talked to Coy about being ordained, Coy, thankfully, being a smart leader, said, you know what, son? You got to prove yourself first. Before I lay my hand on you and pray over you and acknowledge you for full time in this office, because I was still working a full-time job and pastoring, he said, I need to see that you can prove yourself in this calling. And if you prove yourself and God tells me then to, to lay hands on you and ordain you, I'll do it. Ordination is far beyond a piece of paper. Right. You know, in, in the time of the world we live in today, you can go on the internet and get ordained. It means nothing to God. Ordination means that now is an anointing passed on to you. Through that leader as he lays hands on you to acknowledge that this is what you're called to do. Amen? So beyond fivefold ministry, what do we need to do, pastor, to fulfill our ministry in the body of Christ? Get connected with your pastor. Stay faithful with that pastor and that church, that congregation. Find somewhere you can begin to serve and let God begin to use you. And then be faithful. Be faithful to do what you're doing. Stay connected. Continue to grow. Continue to develop. And you know what God will do? He'll lead you through the process of getting you ultimately where he wants you in that place of ministry. Amen? Amen. And that may not mean where you start off. You might start off like I did. I started off putting chairs down into the arena where we had our, our church services and then helping pick them up, put them up. Then I told you I started helping out with outreach rodeos that we did. I started actually planning under the direction of my pastor. I didn't do it on my own. I started planning outreach ministries and things he wanted to do as we were down in the stockyards where our church was. And God began to help develop me for what he had called, what he had called my life to do. But it didn't matter if I wound up in the fivefold. Uh, that's not, hey, if I, if I come put chairs out or do this, well, I wind up in the fivefold. That's not what it means. It means you'll wind up where God wants you to serve. That may be where you start, but you'll wind up where God wants you to serve. How many know there are anointed people to greet people at the door? And there are people that are not anointed. You know there's people you don't want on that door greeting people walking the door? Do you know that? Yes. I said, you know that? Yes. There are people that are not anointed and called by God. I'll guarantee it. Well, I don't see greeter in the Bible. Let me help you. This is somebody very clearly, according to Scripture, who is a position of what we call a buffer or somebody to be able to help new people coming in be acclimated to our church. You don't want to just walk in and figure out what's going on their own. You want to help them walk through that transition, and that, again, that begins just with a friendly face, a loving, anointed, friendly face. I tell our greeters this consistently on and off at different times. I say, if you're functioning in your call as a greeter, you could be healing people walking in the door. Amen. That anointing on you, you reach out and shake a hand, that anointing can get off on them and heal them. Amen. And guess what? If they walked in here sick and you laid a hand on them and anointed them and just prayed, not, like, not only like anointed with oil, I mean just put your hand on the anointing goes into their body and you believe they're not feeling real well, let me take a minute to pray for you. You pray for them and they get healed, guess how much better they're going to receive that day? Come on, somebody. See, every area in the context of the whole aspect of what we walk in, the part of the body of Christ where God's called us, guess what God wants to do? Anoint us. Because he's the one that determines where we're supposed to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me show you another verse on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Glory to God. I said glory to God. What are we talking about? The fourth stage of what is the development of a believer ultimately, which is ministry or the place where God has us to serve. Do I come, sit in church, and wait till my ultimate place comes? No. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, whatever you can find to do with your hand, whatever you can put your hand to, you're capable of doing that. Again, we don't want you doing something you're not capable of doing. If you're not capable of painting, I don't want you painting. If you're not capable of fixing a door, I don't want you, don't want you even try. Amen? I don't want to come back and have to now spend more time trying to fix what you messed up or have somebody else do it. Uh, obviously, believe it or not, you know what? There's some people better at cleaning than others. And there are some people that like to clean. I happen to know one. She's sitting in church tonight. I won't bring it up, but she likes to clean. There's nothing wrong with that. I said nothing wrong with that. But I'm here to tell you, folks, there are people who are gifted to be able to function in different areas that truly is an area that God wants them to use, God, God wants to use them in. But that just means that could be where they start, but not where they wind up. Praise God. But we're going to, just in obedience to God, to find a place to connect, to start doing what God called us to do in the body, we're going to see us develop not only into a disciple, but into that ultimate place of ministry. Can I get a better amen? amen. 
Josh Grimes is one of the best armor bearers I've ever known in my life. And he's been one of my only armor, I've had some others, but he's been one of my only armor bearers that I've had over 20 plus years in my life. I would trust Josh with anything I would need to trust Josh with as it relates to ministry or what I would need him to do. A lot of people misunderstand armor bearers. Armor bearers are there to handle little small things that you might have to have them do in the midst of what you are actually going on before a service, little hands-on stuff that you would otherwise have to jump out of your office and out of prayer and go do. Go find somebody. I got to talk to somebody before service. I got to keep going and finding them. With an armor bearer, they can go do that for you. There's things he does even in relationship to stuff that helps me that I don't have to constantly focus time and attention on so I'm able to stay where God wants me to stay. Amen? There's all different callings in the body of Christ. All different callings. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. If you're there, say amen. amen. What are we still talking about? Ministry. The fourth stage of development. Notice this, verse 12. For as the body is one, say the body is one, the entire body actually makes up as every single individual part a whole body. The body is one and has what? Many members. many members. But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is what? Now what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? Let's read it again. All the members, so that'd be every one of us, all the members of that one body. One body. Now notice he's not referring to the body of Christ as a whole in the sense of all believers on the planet. You're going to find out he's talking here about a local body because he's writing to the Corinthian church, which is a local body. He's referring this directly, Paul is, by the Holy Spirit, to an individual church body. So this writing here, although it includes all of the whole of the church, is not talking about everybody in the body of Christ finding their place with, this is talking about a local body. So for us, that would be us here. This is why you want to find your shepherd, because the Bible doesn't say you find a church, you are the church. When you, find a, when you find your pastor, guess what you want to find now? Where does God want me in the body? Where does he want me? Watch this. All the members of that one body, being many, many members, are still yet one body, so also, or in like example, is what? Excuse me, I thought we were the body of Christ. You are. But why does he just use the term here, so also is Christ? What's Christ? The anointed one and his anointing. How much stronger is the anointing of God going to be in a body where every member is doing its part? Much stronger. Because the spiritual leaders will be more focused on what they're supposed to do. And so the individual bodies will be functioning in their calling and their giftings as well. And this is going to bring a stronger anointing upon the whole body. Verse 13. For by one spirit, by one spirit we were all what? Baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, doesn't matter. Whether slaves or free in their day, there were still people that were slaves that got, that got born again. But we've all been made to do what? We've been made to drink into one spirit. What's that saying? You're only going to function in this ultimate calling where God has you, or even in places that you're functioning now, you're only going to function that calling successfully, how? By the Holy Spirit. By Him anointing you to do it. Verse 14, for in fact the body is not what? It's not one member. It's many, meaning, guess what? We need everybody. We need everybody functioning where they're called. 15, if the foot should say, now this is where we get into problems in the body. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Answer? No. no. So a foot all of a sudden sees a hand, right? A foot, somebody out here, let's say, a hand is somebody up there on the worship team. I want to be on the worship team. Okay, we love you. I'm grateful that you want to sing for Jesus, but we've heard you sing. Well, I sing good. I believe I sing good. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. There needs to be somebody gifted in a position to be able to try you out to find out, can you actually harmonize with the worship team? Because if you can't, you're just a foot wanting to be a hand, and God didn't call you to be a hand. He may have called you to be a foot. I don't want to be a foot. Tell God that. You, you go to God then. But you got to realize, I'm not to decide. This is, this is critical. I don't decide where I wind up and function. God does. You're going to see that in just a minute. Watch this. So again, if the foot's saying, I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Nope. You're as important about the body as the hand is. Right? 16. What if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Nope. All he's trying to say is, one, you're going to find out God's going to cause you to be what you're going to be. Ear, eye, foot, hand. But the key is, are you less important? Lord, no. You're just as important. Amen? 
Go, go, go all day tomorrow with one hand tied behind your back and you can't use it and see how important that hand and that arm is. You listening? Well, I think it's important as my feet. Try it and just see how important it is. If you've ever had injuries like I have, bull riding, you'll find out pretty quick how important a body part is when you can't use it anymore. 17, if the whole body were an eye, question, then where would be the hearing? See, if everybody wanted to be on the worship team, okay, who's going to be down, out here worshiping with us? Nobody. We're all going to be up there looking at an empty sanctuary, worshiping towards an empty sanctuary. So if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? It, it would not be there. If the whole body uh, were hearing, where would the smelling be? You wouldn't have it. Look at verse 18, please. But now God, say God. God. Underline this. God has set the members, each of them in the body, just as he pleased. Well, there's the problem, Pastor. God set me in this body to do this, and you're not letting me do it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It didn't say that. It didn't say God set you in the body to do what you want to do, and I'm not letting you do it. God set you in the body where he, it pleased him. Meaning what? If it pleased him, that means you're capable of functioning there. So let's look at basic order of a body again. Who in the context of the scriptures, who's in a position of authority or leadership over a church? Well, in this case, the pastor is. Who falls under the pastor? The elder. Who comes under the elder? The deacon. Now beyond the deacon, guess what else we have in the church? What we would just term or call, but the Bible calls them administrators. We often use the term department heads. Department heads. Candace is our department head over the nursery. Why? Because if she wasn't, guess what I would have to do? Schedule nursery, figure out if everything's going on okay in there. Is everybody doing what they're supposed to do? Is anybody doing something the kids are not supposed to do? Do they have snacks for this week? On and on we could go. But see, department heads are just as critical and just as important. But guess who determines whether you're an elder, a deacon, or a department head? Or whatever you serve at in the church. I'll tell you who does. The pastor. You're back to the pastor. Because the pastor is the overseer put there by God to help you find and function in your call. What are we here to do? Equip you to do the work of ministry. And when people want to function in an area they're not called, where a pastor knows, I love you, I'm grateful you want to serve there, but one, you either can't sing, can't play an instrument, or you're not called in this area because it's clear we've tried to get you fit in there. You're not functioning well there. It's going difficult with the others or whatever situation. You can't put somebody in and teach kids church not anointed to teach kids church. It'd be a disaster. I said it'd be a disaster. Put somebody on the keyboard that would love to play the keyboard that has no idea how to play an instrument. You listening? I've done this before. I won't do it. Well, I don't know. Is it on? Is it still on? Is the keyboard on? Yes, no, maybe. It's not on? I'll turn it on. So here I am, Pastor Baker. Oh, yeah, turn that on for me. Here I am, Pastor Baker, and I'm really called, in essence, to be a lot. It was on a minute ago. I'm really called, in essence, to be a pastor. That's my role. But I don't want to be a pastor, man. No, 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 no. I want to be a worship leader. I want to be a keyboard player. I don't know how to see. I have to turn the thing on. There we go. <laughs> hey, come on, everybody. Stand up now. Praise the Lord. We're going to have some time of worship with the Lord. You ready? Say, turn it off, Pastor. Say, turn it off, Pastor. Oh, you're not going to say turn it off? You want me to play some more? Now, you might think that's silly, but ladies and gentlemen, listen. You got people who want to do stuff that they're not called to do. They think they're capable because they want to do it. And I guarantee you, I'm, I'm grateful that they would want to do something that they would clearly have a desire to honor God with. But if you're not called or gifted by God to do it, guess who's going to determine whether that's true or not? If I hear you come up here and do that and you tell me I'm going to be up here pastor for the next service playing the keyboard, you know what I'm going to say? Uh-uh. Oh, but I want to play keyboard. Okay, fine, wonderful, but you're not doing it here. Go home and bang on it all you want. But you're not going to do it here because that's not where God called you. See, leadership has to be the ones called by God to acknowledge and recognize our place in ministry to where we're called. 
Somebody has to be there to acknowledge that call in a person's life to do that. Now, in the context of the worship team, I don't have time to be able to actually have auditions for everybody that wants to be on the worship team. That's supposed to be Matt's responsibility. Where he would have a time, if somebody wanted to be on the worship team, talk to him. But he's supposed to set up a time for you to come and work with him to see, can you actually do what we need you to do? Are you gifted? Are you called to do that? You know what? You could have people gifted and called, but they're not to discipleship stage yet. They can't show up on time. They can't practice the songs like they're supposed to. They just show up and think, hey, I should be able to play. But you haven't practiced a song. You don't know it. You haven't shown up on time. You keep showing up 30 minutes late. And then you want to get up here and worship with everybody. We've already done our practice. Folks, you can't do that. I said you can't do that. So this is why disciple ultimate ministry. Because now you're disciplined to do what you need to do to step up into the position of what God's ultimately called you to do in ministry. So how do we know our ultimate place? Well, first of all, it's not hard to come in and find a place that you could put your hand to to help out in some way. How many know one of the easiest places to begin to serve would be a place like Ponder Pantry? How hard is it to pick up a couple boxes, walk them over to a car, and put them in a car for somebody? It don't take a lot of anointing to do that, but it takes a heart to want to help people to do that, Right? Yes, no, maybe. But we don't just give them food. Guess what we also have? People here to pray for them. People that are called that know how to pray for people that can pray for them if they want prayer. So you got to understand this. When we look at fulfilling our function in ministry, nobody walks into church and just does whatever they want. That has to go through the leadership of that area of the church. Then they have to come to me to say, do I also agree that that's what they're called to do? Part of this is a balance. Like children's ministry, we have people been in there for years. To step up into a new position of children's ministry, they have to go through training. I have to trust, in this case, Tamara Hines, who now oversees the children's ministry. I have to trust her to work with them to find out, are they capable of going from a helper to a teacher? Can they carry a class? And we don't expect you to do that in one setting. We're going to expect a process of training to help you to see, are you really called or gifted by God to do that? If you've tried and you can't do it, obviously, successfully the way we need you to do it, guess what we have to acknowledge? That's not your calling. You shouldn't get mad. You listening? Well, I'm a foot. I want to be a hand. Well, if you think you want to be a hand when you're not called to be one and we put you back there, you know what you're going to be doing, don't you? You're going to be kicking people when you should be reaching out a hand to help them. Some of you pick that up after lunch tomorrow. See, if you're really called to be a foot, I didn't say foot kick. I didn't say your foot kick. You should be kicking people. I said if you're trying to be a hand, but you're called to be a foot, you're going to kick people. Not help them. So you got to understand that all the aspects of what we see in ministry is based on this verse, verse 18. God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as what? He pleases. Just as he pleases. Well, how are we going to know what it is that pleases God of where people are to serve? Now, I wish I had time and I don't tonight. But you can go through the book of Acts and clearly see nobody stepped up into these positions that the apostles did not recognize and acknowledge. Even the deacons. When they needed people to do this daily distribution of bread, did the apostles go find them? They actually did not. They did not. The apostles turned to others they could trust, and they said, go find for us. You go find seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of faith. Now, if they, ain't, if they, ain't full, if they don't qualify for that, don't bring them to us. Right? right? But you go find them. So this is like administration to a Candace who's trying to find workers for, you know, nursery or kids' church or worship team, right? Well, we need more worship members. Well, you go find them, but they need to qualify. But guess what? Just because they qualify, does that mean they get on the team? Nope. If they brought those seven men to those apostles to now pray. See, they didn't bring them seven men and say, great, you guys are deacons, go for it. No, they did not. You'll read that when they brought those seven men to them, guess what they did? They prayed. And now they asked God, are these the right men? Are these the ones that are supposed to be in that position? And God confirmed they were. And then they laid hands on them and prayed for them. The leadership had to agree. The ones anointed by God as leaders over the New Testament church had to be in agreement. Now, you might think I'm wasting your time here, but this is significant to understanding ministry. 
Can I get a better amen? So it's valuable for me and you to understand God has a place of ministry for us. No, we don't have to wait when we come in to find that ultimate place. As Ecclesiastes says, find something that you can set your hand to. Something to set your hand to means I'm capable of doing that. Capable of doing that. I'm capable of running a vacuum cleaner. I know how to do it. I don't skip spots and just try to get over it real quick. Nope. I can be diligent. I can do that. Praise the Lord. I can wipe down a glass, uh, clean a window, do something like that. I can do whatever in relationship to basic hands-on stuff. And what does it say to do? Do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. Meaning what? You shouldn't clean the church any less in context to your devotion and your commitment to God than you would be up here on as a worship team. Right? Or a greeter at the door. Or a teacher in the pulpit. Can I get a better amen? amen? One of the things I love about Brandy is she's always been diligent to do the things she does with excellence to the best of her ability. And she's somebody, when she comes in this pulpit, she's prepared. She's prayed. She's asked God. She's studied. And that's why she gets in this pulpit to teach. One, because God told me she's here to do that, part of what she's called to do. And then two, she's willing to do it. If she wasn't willing to do it, I wouldn't say you're getting the pulpit whether you like it or not. I'm not going to force somebody to do something they don't want to do. Can I get a better amen? One of the things you got to learn about ministry of how God functions, everything comes from the head down. Thus saith the Bible. God in the church does everything decently and in order. Order of what? Leadership down. So even though we have others in the church that might see somebody that has an ability to step in somewhere to help out, if it's a key role, if it's a key position, I don't need somebody to come to me and say, hey, pastor, can we put this person on the cleaning team? Well, obviously, if they know how to clean, sure. <laughs> yeah, no problem. But we're talking about worship team, children's ministry, sound. Hey, guess what chef don't need on that board? Somebody that has zero idea of what electronics are about. We don't need you back there. Ooh, hey, this looks like fun. I think I'll push this button. Ooh, I like that color. Oh, I like that color. I want to see more of that color. I'm going to raise that up. <laughs> You're going to mess stuff up, man. Amen? So understand, though, we're not going to put some in that position until they do what? Come talk to me. Now, there's two reasons why. One, how many believe the Bible? I said, how many believe the Bible? Then just like in the book of Acts, guess what God's going to do? He's going to reveal to me that's where you need to be. He's going to show me that. I said, he's going to show me that. And then number two, not only that, but guess what? I know things about people you may not know. And I'm not going to tell you. All I would say is, you know what? I love the fact they want to serve there. Not probably the best time for them to do that. And it's not because, I'm not going to turn around and tell you, oh, they can't because of this and this and all this stuff going on in their life. No, but there might be things I know about say, well, I'm glad that they want to serve there, but let's not do that right now. Let's just tell them to postpone that, pray about it. But I just think they need some time to do something else right now. Amen. Because I can know things about people you may not know. The one thing that a pastor has to his detriment, sadly, in many ways, in some aspects, not, not sadly biblically, but sadly, it's like pastors said for years. I know stuff about people you don't know. Because you know why? I meet with people. I talk with people. They come to me for help. They talk to me about things. I've counseled people sometimes for hours. And then all of a sudden, they come talk to you. If they come talk to you as a believer in the church, guess what most of the time they want to hear from you? What they want to hear. Well, guess what? I'm not going to tell them when they come talk to me all the time, what they want to hear. You know what I'm going to tell them? Speak the truth in love. Guess what some people don't always want to do? They don't always want to hear. One of the hardest things to do sometimes as a pastor is to tell somebody something you already know before you tell them, they ain't going to like it. But this is what the Bible says. This is how it works. I totally get it. I am somebody who completely... In every single way, have compassion on your situation, what you're going through, what's going on. But this is what the Bible says you do in that situation, period. Even if it's hard, even if it's a challenge. That's where the greater one will rise up within you if you'll submit to his word and he'll help put you over. But things, you know, that people come to the pastor thinking, oh, he's going to tell me what I want to say, make everything better in one setting. No, I'm going to probably tell you stuff you're not going to like to hear because if you're in a situation that you probably shouldn't be, you've probably been doing things you shouldn't do, right? And that means you're going to have to receive what? Correction. 
Correction from the word to fix it and make it better. Could I get a better amen? amen? I've had church family members come to me in situations with their marriage, with their kids, with their personal life, and I've told them, here's the situation, what the Bible says about that. Here's what you're doing now. If you'll adhere to this and believe this and start acting on the word here, you'll see results. Yeah. I tried that. There's your problem. There's your problem. This is your new lifestyle. Not something you try. See, if you try it, you're, not gonna, you're telling me you're not going to fully do it. Because if you're trying it, you're not putting your whole heart into it. Right? Therefore, you're not going to see it work because you're not going to stick with it. The Bible says don't grow weary in doing good because in due season, guess what? You will reap. But it may take a while. It may take a while. But I've seen people also bring to me stuff and situations in their life that they've received correction. And I don't mean like I'm trying to correct them. I'm just telling them what the Bible says. And they've received it. And they've said, okay, pastor, I know I probably really didn't want to hear that, but I needed to. And I'm glad you told me that. I'm going to do my best to apply that to my life. And when they've actually walked it out, golly, Gomer, guess what? The word works. Amen. The word works. See, I was one of the first ones. I'll close with this. Kathy will like this because I'll, I'll explain something about our marriage. Uh, I was one of the first ones as a very young pastor who honestly did not know fully how to be the kind of husband I should be. Didn't know. And all of a sudden, we started having problems in our marriage. Actually, before I started pastoring, I should say. Uh, this was way before I started pastoring. Our second year in marriage, things got really rocky. Really rocky. I'll tell you why we're still together today. God. God, I love him. She loves him. And he got us through all the aspects of all the carnal stuff we had to get through, just like everybody else. Amen. Hallelujah. See, everybody thinks, this is what I thought. Don't know about you, this is what I thought. Oh, man, I met the girl of my dreams. I know it's God. God told me this is the guy I'm to marry. We're going to go to the altar. We're going to get married. Praise God, everything's going to be wonderful. And about a year or a little less into it, things weren't too wonderful. I'm like, what happened? (laughs) I thought this just worked. I thought it just worked, man. I found my bride. Praise the Lord. It's going to be a wonderful deal. Glory to God. But it wasn't so wonderful. And I'll guarantee you, Kathy wasn't as much of the problem as I was. Husbands don't like to hear it, but you're the head of the home. Right. Now, that doesn't mean a wife doesn't have her part to play. If she won't submit to you biblically, that's going to cause problems. Right. Period. Thus saith the Bible. It takes two people to make a marriage work. But I'll guarantee you, into that second year, I looked at Kathy in a very difficult time in our life when both of us were on the verge of considering walking away, and I just knew I couldn't walk away. I knew it wasn't, wasn't God. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? I know I'm not the husband right now that I'm supposed to be, but I'm going to become that husband. I'm going to do whatever it takes to learn, to develop, to grow in the knowledge of this. And at the time... My pastor really couldn't help me with that. I started searching through the ministers that I knew, answers of stuff that they had, and I found several of them that led me to some resources that helped me understand what a biblical husband is. I had no idea. I had no idea. I didn't have it modeled to me biblically from my home, so I had no idea how to do that. Well, guess what? That takes time. You don't change overnight. I know we want it to happen overnight. But I'll guarantee you what, doesn't matter what you're saying. Yeah, there's you. I'm glad you talked about this, Pastor, tonight because my, my, my husband, yeah, he, I've been trying to get, see, you understand something. If you, this was, if you ever come to me for marriage counseling, guess what the, one of the first things you're going to hear me say? Work out your own salvation. If you focus on your spouse of what they're not doing or what they're doing wrong or what they're not doing right or whatever, guess what you're not doing? Your part. You're not dealing with you. You can't work out what they're doing. You're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. Do your part. Do your part. Do what the Bible says. The Bible even talks about in the situation with a husband that's totally out of line with God. 1 Peter 3. He's not doing anything in in line with what God says. But you know what the Bible says? You as a wife can win him. How? By your conduct. Without a word, meaning what? You don't preach to him, you don't nag him, you don't get on him. Guess what you do? You, by your conduct, still submit to him just as if he was the perfect husband. And guess what that'll do? Melt his heart. That'll help him realize the true love of God because you're going to love him with that love of God. And that'll bring him. I could tell you testimony after testimony, people I know that that's happened. But I'm here to tell you, folks, you got to understand this. You got to realize that the way God functions in the body of Christ is the same way when people come to me. It's going to come from the head down. Jesus to me through the body. And if I'm going to function in the call of God where God's called me to actually be a part of the ministry, guess what I got to know? My pastor's in agreement. Why? God's going to show him that. God's going to reveal that to him. Could I get a better amen? Now realize there are people that can get in their calling and fail it. 
Do you understand that? There's pastors that have failed. That were called a pastor and they failed. They're no longer pastors. There's apostles that have. But there's also people in the body that have. There's elders that have failed, sadly. There are deacons that have failed. You can see this all through even the New Testament, right? Did Barnabas fail Paul? And think about how powerful Barnabas was before that. How much of the work of God Barnabas was doing. But he allowed a family member to come between him and the Apostle Paul and turned away from the call of God on his life to be with who? Paul. Who did, who did those disciples say? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to do the work I've called them to do. Not for them to separate. Right? Who obeyed God there? Paul did. Now, why did Paul obey? Uh, how do we know Paul obeyed God? Does anybody know? Because the Bible goes on to say, and the apostles, the leadership, endorsed Paul and said, you're doing what's right. You were caring for John Mark because he had bailed on you once. He's not ready for the Folks, in their day preaching the gospel, it was a daily threat of your life. They weren't popular people. Oh, come on, man. Preach to us. We'll give you a bigger offering. You kidding me? They're being run out of town, chased out of town. They're being stoned and left for dead. On and on and on we could go. So understand this. You could actually start off in your calling and fail it if you don't stay true to leadership and what God's called you to do. God gives leadership in your life to strengthen you, not to be a, hurt, not to be a hindrance. God, I know this without a doubt. With all my heart, I know this. I'm responsible to only teach you the word of God. But guess what? If I don't let you function in the call of God that God has on your life, guess what I'm going to do? Give an account for that. But don't you think that if God dealt with the prophet that got out of line through a donkey, he could deal with me? Let me believe that. That if I was not honestly honoring what God wanted for somebody's life in this church, don't you think God could reveal that to me? If he could reveal to Balaam through a donkey, right? That you're not supposed to go there. I guarantee you he could reveal that to your pastor. Only thing I would recognize significant to this as a pastor, I want to make sure my pastor is submitted to his leadership. Because if he is, he's staying in a place of safety of where God can correct him and deal with him. When you got a lone pastor, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.